that offer to plug you, Adam, stands. Adam, I'm really sorry, mate. Oh. I'm really sorry. I, That's yeah, all right. I'm just going to edit all of you out. Please do. <laughs> and, uh, no, really, please. Feel, I feel like I talked more than I would normally talk. Welcome to The Herd Mentality, an eclectic weekly mix of atheistic and humanistic conversations with complete strangers. I've never met them and they've never met me, but we're throwing caution to the wind, taking a risk with a dodgy internet connection, and God willing, get an interesting conversation for you to listen to. I'm your host, Questionable Adam, at Adam Reeks on Twitter, and it's time to meet our guests. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to The Herd Mentality. With me today, I have Jake Far Wharton. Jake Fart Warning, how are you, sir? I am tremendous Adam Reeks, and I hear he does. In, uh, truth be told, it's it's a fact, and that's what this show's all about. <laughs> so, so is Fart Warning, actually. <laughs> and a, a, actually, the, the, the trouble right now is uh, if there is a warning of farts, there, there's also a warning of some level of follow-through. Edit that out. Excellent. Now, word on the street is that you've just been to Vietnam for a short stint. For a short stint, yeah, 10 days of absolute glory and wonder. It was just tremendous. It was... The holiday to dream for. We we really packed as much as we humanly possibly could into about ten days, including a ninetieth birthday and a wedding. Right. Not not to the ninetieth, the person who was turning ninety. Not and that was a bit of time and, and now, wasn't the same one. And now you're been unpacking your bowel. And then yeah, well, hey, what can I say? Airline food, and that's all I'm going to say. Hmm. All right. Well, I'll have to pop in a sound effect for that one. Thanks, Jake. <laughs> and we've uh, just just before we move on you, you know i used to live in vietnam i think i mentioned this to you i know i know that you have a french uh girlfriend and you may have said that you lived in vietnam but i didn't know that ah where, where you went i saw some of the photos you put up on twitter the uh, the coochie tunnels yeah yeah wow yes amazing experience and um, <laughs> they've, yeah. got, they've got the the tunnel for the round eye, which is the the one where they can accommodate an entire <laughs> American, and they've sort of had this trench digger in to to, to tunnel it out. So you that, are not wrong. And, and I went in the the tower. I went in the tunnel for the round eye, and I've got to say, beyond beyond my what, like th- this is the stuff that nightmares are made of. You know, all, all you need is somebody with sharp nails to come towards you. And you will never sleep again in the rest of your like. It is the most claustrophobic that I've ever been. I'm not a claustrophobic human being. I, I have very few phobias, but I got to say, that was one that triggered all of them together. And <laughs> wow, <laughs> holy moly, it was tremendous. But and, and did you know, you on the other the, hand, you saw the tunnels for the for the Vietnamese people. Yeah, I did. I did. And my wife actually uh, uh, fit in the the tourist portion of the entryway. So they've got this little entryway that is less long and less wide than my foot. And basically, this was the entry point, you know, hidden amongst the jungle uh, that the that the Coochie people would um, would jump in and out of. And uh, wow. Yeah, my wife got stuck. You know, my wife is a very gorgeous, slim lady and uh, she got stuck. There you go. But she's also American. So, you know, Americans have fat booties. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> but yeah, also on that day, I, I got to shoot an AK-47, which was um, pretty amazing. Yes. What were your thoughts on that? Uh, it was shooting a gun. So mm. you know, I'm not a big fan of guns. Stuff goes um, bang. 
stuff goes bang and then stuff on the other side goes splat. I, I'm not a big fan of guns, but it's still an awesome thing. Look, humans invented this for warfare, but in the same respect, it's also for fun and sport, I suppose, in the Olympics. And that's what I was going for. So I got all bullseyes. Outstanding. And I've heard uh, Kevin, uh, who's at Perth underscore atheist, uh, giggling mm. along in the background there. Hello, Kevin. How are you? Very well, thanks. Thank you for caring. What's going on in your world? Oh, not much. Another sunny day here in Perth. But your accent doesn't align with the geography. No, actually, all people in Perth sound like this. Little it's true. Ad- I don't know whether you mean to Perth or not, but yeah. It's we true. all sound like this. Yeah, I'm originally Canadian. <laughs> right. Been okay. in Australia about six years now. And uh, from what I know, you're a teacher. Yes, yeah, I teach English to foreign students. As a Canadian. As a Canadian, so I teach them. You know, in Australia. Yeah. Yeah. So you're a Canadian... You're a Canadian in Australia teaching people from overseas how to speak English or Australian? Exactly. English. Okay. So you don't, you don't bother to, to go the next step, go the whole hog, as some may say? No, no. As a North American, my, my grasp on accents was terrible, so I wouldn't, I wouldn't try to teach them how to sound Australian. It's probably for the best. Yeah, it just sounds. Even we sound terrible. <laughs> True well, my, my impression of you would be even worse. Oh, well, no, no, we can't leave it hanging like that. Yeah, let's hear, exactly. let's hear an Australian accent, Kevin. Come on. Um, well, I, I can say g'day reasonably well, and I, I'm quite fond of crikey. Yeah, I'd argue that. And that's about <laughs> it. <laughs> that's pretty much it. Hey, you know, just a funny observation. Uh, actually, two funny observations. The first funny observation is, uh, might I say also, firstly, Kevin, you're an incredibly handsome gentleman. Like, oh. Adam is a very handsome gentleman, but I must say, you're a very handsome gentleman. Thank you. Uh, and the second part of what I was going to say was, have you ever noticed that when... Sorry, this was a Jerry Seinfeld beginning joke. Have you ever noticed that <laughs> when, when you go overseas as an Australian, when you speak to people from another country and you're speaking in, in the same language, say, for example, English, I tend to occasionally... Uh, overemphasize my Australianness in order to authenticate the fact that I'm Australian and perhaps not from other Western countries that have bad reputations. Do you mm-hmm. find that, Adam? I do. Uh, my French is... I, I speak French, evidently. Uh, I think I've elaborated Claire that bien. upon, upon that in, in many previous episodes. But when I lived in France, and indeed when I go back, if I speak to somebody in Paris in French, they immediately assume that I'm either American or British, at which point I just say, no, 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 I'm Australian. And then it's just free beers for Adam. Happy days. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, that's true. But most people hate Parisians anyway. Uh, well, with good reason. Yeah. <laughs> but you, I think actually, Kevin, you probably have it worse because, uh, well... You just you live just above that country that I was mentioning but didn't mention. To be honest, I mean, for the the vast majority of us do sound the same. So, I mean, I honestly don't care if people ask if I'm American just based on my accent. But if they've been talking to me for a while and then assume I'm American, that's a bit more of an insult. That's well, true. You the, could you could help them though by end, ending every sentence with the um, proposition a. a. Yeah. Yeah. See, I do that unintentionally anyway, and then I say about. And in my mind, I say it the same way everyone else in the world does, but people still giggle when I say it. So. Yeah, it's because you said a boot. <laughs> the Canadian accent is to American what the New Zealand is to the Australian. Yep. Yeah, we, we get mocked much the same way that, uh, that New Zealand gets mocked by Australia. Excellent. All right, well, gentlemen, we're on here today to talk about uh, having awkward situations with family. Ah, uh, yes. Incest is, a, is the... What, what is that thing that they say about incest? The game the whole family can play? There we go. You win. <laughs> That's the one. That's the one. So you two gentlemen, uh, and for anyone who is on Twitter and not following these guys, then, well, you're dead to us. But 
These guys are atheists, funnily enough, appearing on an atheist podcast. Uh, in fact, Jake, you have your own atheist podcast, The Imaginary Friends Show. Yeah, but it's, it's far less superior to this one. Uh, how dare you? How dare you? I oh, know, it's, it's sacrilege, yes. That's, <laughs> that's true. That is sacrilegious. Sacrilegious talking right there. But yeah, The Imaginary Friends Show. Isn't everything we say sacrilegious? Pretty much. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so the short story is that you guys yourselves are atheists, but your family, social circle, etc., are not. Correct. Mm. My social circle is predominantly atheist. I just, I, I have a hard time interacting with people that I, what I think about their religious beliefs, I can't separate that from the relationship. So family, very religious friends, not so much. Perhaps the focus here should be family, because... You know, you can pick and choose your friends, but you can't pick and choose your family. So, Jake, you're an atheist, but your family is not. How did you come out to these guys? Uh, well, I just said I'm an atheist. All right. Well, okay, we can end <laughs> it's the one of the One of the easiest things that you'll ever... You know, but seriously, it's one of the hardest things that you'll ever, you'll ever do. The, the harder one was when we were all going to church and I realized that I really didn't believe in Christianity. And coming out to my mother, especially... My dad is, is actually a scientist and he, was, he never went to church. In fact, the only times that he went to church was uh, Christmas. And that was mainly because my mum begged him to take care of the kids while she went and did the whole singing and whatever it is that people do when they go to church on Christmas Day. Yeah, my dad, so my dad was always atheist, but mother uh, was very Christian. We had always gone to very Christian churches, very Christian schools. We'd been brought up as Christians. And, you know, that's, that's just basically the way it was. But, yeah, coming out and saying that I no longer believed in Christianity, that was probably the hardest because not only is it a rejection of the belief system, it's also a rejection in, you know, upon reflection, in my opinion, it's, it's probably also a uh, rejection of the values that your family has taught you because they, the values themselves are often tied to the, the belief system itself. And it's also a rejection of the education that your your parents have given you because it's you know they're the ones that instilled it upon you, so it's it's a it's a difficult thing to get rid of. But ultimately, it's the easiest thing to get rid of because the second that it comes out and you get the reaction, well, it's all over and done with. And it's you know you, you, where to from there? Well, everywhere, anywhere you want to go. Mm. And uh, depending on your relationship with your family, it can go really well. Uh, or obviously it can go really poorly. But in, in my circumstance, at least, uh, at least with my immediate family, my extended family is a little bit different. We can go into that if you like. The, my immediate family was very, uh, very okay with that. Absolutely. Rightio. And what about you, Kevin? What happened? To tell you the truth, I don't even remember. I don't think I've ever explicitly said to them I'm an atheist, but it's become obvious over the years. They used to drag me to church when I was, oh, I guess, until the age of 16, at which point, I said, you know what, unless you physically try and drag me, this is not happening anymore. And I think at first it was more just a like a teenage rebellion thing. You believe this, so I don't, and it, it's a bit silly anyway. And then as the years went on, I just kind of got farther and farther away until I realized myself I was an atheist, but I didn't actually have that conversation with them. I think they just they became aware based on things I said to them. Yeah, I, I wish I could remember my the transition to atheism, but it happened so long ago and over such a long time. Mm. You know, there's nothing that really punctuated it. I think a lot of us go through the same thing, though, especially when we're brought up super religious. 
that we sort of go go through an, an extended deprogramming where we might try other religions and other belief systems and you know other philosophies just basically working our way towards realizing that it's really the thinking that's wrong not the belief systems themselves did you try any other systems jake of course yeah i, tr- I tried all of them i even tried scientology which was awesome you're kidding oh. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, well, you know, I, I was audited. That was about as far as it went because, <laughs> you know, Scientology is about as funny as, as you know, in, a religion can get, Yes, honestly. And just going in there, the whole thing is comical. And you, you realise uh, once you're going th- when you're going through the auditing process, the guy's job or the, the individual's job is to pick areas of insecurity. Some of them we wear on our sleeves as humans, uh, others are more deep-seated and need to be picked at. But the the whole premise behind the auditing procedure is that you lay your cards on the table mm. so that you know you can find out exactly what's wrong with you. So they have their job set for you, and it's just so easy. It's I mean it's 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 a piece of cake to to see, especially if you've if you've been through religious programming in the past to really see exactly what they're doing and and. Um, sort of look through it. But yeah, I tried everything. I tried Buddhism. Uh, I tried Pentecostalism. I was brought up Catholic, so I tried, um, and it was the sort of more fundamentalist side of Catholicism as well, I should say. Yeah, I tried Pentecostalism. Um, I tried ecumenicalism, the, you know, uh, what would you call that? The um, Fictional. Fictional. They're all fictional. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, but w- what is it? Uh, Episcopalian. What's, it? What's the other no, name? That, anyway, that's just when you eat fish for a month, isn't it? Anglican. Oh. Yeah. Right. That yeah, Episcopalian, <laughs> I like it. Just when you eat fish, that's very nice. But yeah, I tried tried many of them. Sort of try. I even read the Celestine Prophecy. You ever read that crappy piece of shit book? Wow. wow. <laughs> Can you see auras around plants? No, it's because the plants don't have auras. Oh, okay. That, no, Jake. To be fair, the Blue Mountains they have auras. Yeah. The Blue Mountains are, are blue because of the aura of yeah. the trees. Yeah. Which well, can be actually tracked down to something that's scientific. Yeah, the North and South Pole of the world also have auras, but it's actually uh, high-energy particles streaming off the electromagnetic field that the uh, core of the Earth generates. Look, but, I'll uh, thank you to keep the science out of this. If you <laughs> mind, this is, this is not a podcast where we can get to the crux of the matter. My most sincere of apologies, sir. <laughs> Rightio. So, well, I also had the, uh, the experience with the Scientologists However, I went into it knowing exactly what to expect. Yeah, they asked me about all my ex-girlfriends. That was and you a... just said they were all smoking hot, <laughs> incredibly they're, intelligent. They're all now Scientologists. <laughs> <laughs> but I knew exactly what Great I was going into. to avoid so. Scientology, actually. <laughs> so my they, ex-girlfriend is there. Yeah, they're, they're able to... And, and it is just cold reading. That's all it is. Well, it's, it's structured cold reading. When you see people like Darren Brown... Um, who's, oh, he's you know, amazing. He is. He really is amazing. And is he the that's guy pretty with the much, amazing beard? He does have a pretty amazing satanic-looking beard. Yes. yes. Um, but uh, are you talking about James Randi, the, the mega beard? No, 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 no. Uh, the Taron Brown, uh, isn't he? Yeah, doesn't he's going to do, do the, a really small kind of goatee style. Small, yeah, exactly. The, the, doesn't yeah. he do the, the TV segment? He does. Um, yeah. Where it's like he's trying to sell a vacuum cleaner, but asking you to give him fifty-seven dollars a month so he can have a miracle. Well, no, Darren Brown is actually a, a skeptic. Oh, uh, sorry, no, I'm, I've so completely he's, actually, he's a good guy. He's on our side. Okay, He's written a couple of really good books too. I think. Yeah, yeah. 
So, so Darren Brown uh, is is like a, a cold reader extraordinaire in, in that he's spent half of his life learning how to do it as a skeptic as well. So teaching it from uh, our side basically to to show the f- the feeble nature of the human mind. Uh, yes, I know who you're referring to now. Yes, uh, several people have commented that this is the sort of thing that I should go and spend some time looking up. And as oh, yet, yeah. I have not. So I he's, do apologise. He's, he's a great guy, and he and he has some some incredible documentaries out there as well. Mm. But the, the idea is, you know, with, with this guy, it's completely unstructured, and he can pick up anything basically because of his training. But with Scientology, they they don't. The auditors are often practitioners themselves that are trying to themselves work through issues. So you know, it's like a multi-level marketing scheme basically, and and the uh, the structure of the auditing is very. Uh, textbook, if you know what I mean. It's it's it is literally them reading out of a a, a textbook where they have been taught to audit. Mm. Does that make sense? It, absolutely. Yeah. And, uh, from the test that I went and did, I later found out that apparently when they had the little stand set up, there's always a Scientologist nearby overseeing things. Of course, which explains why they got so nervous when I started asking them about their little machine that she kept fiddling with the dials because whenever she'd ask me a question basically it's uh, an ohm meter e-meter so, uh, well yes let's call it an e-meter <laughs> it measures el- electrical resistance oh so, sorry you were you were referring to what it actually is yeah, actually is, yeah. <laughs> <Yes>. my apologies <laughs> so you hold these two um conductors, you, conductors and uh, it runs through a machine and they ask you questions but whenever they ask you a question, she'd lean over and modify the uh, the setting in order for it to give a result that apparently was some sort of amazing okay. revelation. Oh, wow, he had an ex-girlfriend. There's got to be something here that we can get him into Scientology with. <laughs> and you can adjust the results just by squeezing harder yeah. and creating more surface area on the, yeah. on the little <laughs> probes. So I kept, doing, I kept doing that and yeah. it just, just let it go up. And down and up and down. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, Adam Zenu does work in uh, mysterious ways, muscular ways. Muscular. That's the one. <laughs> Simple as that. Anyway, we're a little off track. Tell me, uh, Jake, when did it all turn to um, when did it all turn to dysentery for you? When you to, to dysentery? Yes. Well, uh, uh, on my trip back from um, Vietnam. Well, no, 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 no. I'm talking <laughs> proverbially here when, you, you know, you drop the bombshell on the family and what happened? Was there some fallout? Uh, yeah, yeah. I mean, one side of the family no longer speaks to us. Um, and by us, I mean one side of the sp- family no longer speaks to my immediate family because of... Uh, because of that? His- yeah, yeah. They're, they're Opus Day Christians. You know, you're familiar with Opus Day? They wrote a, a whole book about it. It's uh, the yeah, Da Vinci I've read Code. It, the Da Vinci Code, yes. yes. Yeah. Across, yeah, yeah. across that. <laughs> so they, they are the. Uh, so I, I mentioned earlier that I was of the fundamentalist part of Catholicism. So they're even further up the fundamentalist echelons in that they wear things like a chalice to enact, what do they call it, like ritual punishment? Oh, the self flagellation. Self flagellation, yeah. So. Yeah, yeah, it's pretty disgusting. That sounds rude. They're really weird human beings. They have daughters. They have children. It's really, it's really, and and a son as well. It's really unfortunate, and it's such a terrible situation. But they will not associate whatsoever with any of the family um, as a consequence of that. And you know, secondary to that, I, I wrote a book. One of the letters that I wrote in in my book 
but the, the book was basically a bunch of letters give written it a plug. to give it a plug. Give it a plug. It's it's called Letters to Christian Leaders. Hollow be thy claims, which Catholics will know is a uh, modified sentence from the Our Father prayer. Mm-hmm. So basically, in each of these letters, I addressed a well, a letter or a claim made by a fundamentalist individual. Most of them were from the U.S. Some of them from uh, around the world. But one of the people that I addressed a an address from was uh, the head of the Opus Day Church. So that may have further nailed Ouch. the coffin, so to speak, poorly. You speak very lightly of it now, but presumably it wasn't always this easy. Uh, look, it's unfortunate. The, the worst thing is that you see these people who, I, you know, I spent a lot of time with their kids growing up because they're around the same age. Um, they're cousins. They're, um, you know, my, they're my mother's first cousins, aunties and uncles that have had children, etc. So, you know, these are, these are first and second cousins that I was very close with growing up that no longer want to be associated with us in any way, shape or form because one of their sons doesn't believe in the same God that they do. I mean, it's terribly fickle and it is uh, somewhat offensive. But on the bright side, the woman, the, the, the mother, the wife, um, was a bit of a cow anyway. <laughs> <laughs> so you, you've had a win. Well, no, I, I mean, I make no, light of it, but, I, I, as I you know, say. As, but as do I. But it, it, is, it is really unfortunate. It really sucks. You know, they, they were great people, great human beings, and m- despite their faith, we could have always been friends. We could have always been uh, friendly family members. But mm. uh, their decision to not allow their children, not allow the family to uh, associate with alternative opinions, it just means that the kids will f- stay further cemented in, in their belief systems, which is just terrible. Mm. Yes, well, you'll have to send them a herd mentality Christmas card. We, we actually send them a Christmas card every year. And we have not heard from them. As I said, we really have had no com- communication with them in many years. It's like family functions, wedding, funerals. You don't cross paths. Well, we've actually had a wedding um, in the meantime. And I w- they were asked, they basically asked my mother, will Jake be there? And my mother said yes. And so uh, they didn't come. Oh, <laughs> Any of them. So, yeah. It, oh, look, it's not a great situation at all. But, yeah, that's, mm. that's the way that it the cookie crumbles, Kev- so to speak. Kevin, what about some fallout on your side? No, there hasn't really been any fallout. I mean, well, actually, that's not true. Because of the way I was brought up in this, like, really hardcore Pentecostal family, as soon as I, I went to university, I, you know, I left home at 17. And since then, I guess I'd say my family and I, my immediate family, have really just drifted apart. And I, I would say a lot of it has to do with the way that I was brought up. But there wasn't, you know, one... Like I said earlier, nothing punctuated one single event. There was never a big fight or a big argument. But I just have a hard time reconciling their beliefs with with my worldview and and knowing that you know my father, who speaks five languages, went to Oxford, believes that a magic man in the sky controls everything. It just I can't reconcile that in my own head. It's just it's a, it's an odd thing. It is an odd thing. Yeah. I mean, it's amazing that a man can speak five languages. <laughs> if there was a god, why do we need more m- multiple languages? Uh, well, don't you remember the Tower of Babel? Yeah. For goodness sake. This uh, guy's an amateur. Tut, yeah, tut. Right, right in Genesis. <laughs> we always make light of, of Theus being, you know, not as bright and not intelligent, but I, my father's probably the smartest man I've met, so it's always been a struggle for me to just deal with the fact that, yes, this, this man is extremely intelligent, but still believes in, in you know, his extent 
his knowledge of science is based on a book written 1,500 years ago. Well, Jake, you might have something to add to this, but there's recently been a study outing atheists as being smarter than theists. While it's a very comprehensive meta-study of quite a large sample size, I think that perhaps there's some more going on here. It's, it's, a, it's the way by which people take the tests and can analyse the data. It has to do less with what you've said and more to do with random sampling. If you take a random group of theists, they will often come from a, a wide range of backgrounds, education levels, socioeconomic statuses, etc. If you take that same amount, that same number uh, of individuals uh, from atheists, those people are quite often going to have a slightly higher or um, slightly more above average level of socioeconomics uh, or socioeconomic status. They're likely to have a uh, higher levels of education because often uh, education correlates with atheism, mainly because it, it uh, correlates with deprogramming. It correlates um, with reading books. Well, yeah. The yeah. emphasis yeah. on the S. But like <laughs> Philosophy 101, um, which is taught to just about everybody in every university around the world, is about the most efficient way to, to deprogram oneself of any belief system because uh, it teaches epistemology, and epistemology is one of the most important things you can ever teach any individual ever. Um, and, and it's something that I'm finding quite difficult right now to teach to my eight-year-old. <laughs> uh, but it, it's it's incredibly important. Epistemology just means how do you know what what you know, mm. or how do we know what we know. So teaching children, teaching individuals, teaching adults, etc., to figure out exactly how they know what they know, or you know how the information has been delivered, where the information comes from, what the origins are, what proof do you have, what's the evidence, etc., etc. It's an incredibly important lesson. But that's, that's basically it. So you've got the sample size from theists. They come from a, a broad range of uh, backgrounds, socioeconomic statuses and education levels. You take that same number uh, of atheists, they are on average going to have high levels of education, et cetera, et cetera. So it's basically slated, it's basically, um, slated towards atheists. They were always going to win that because of the fact that Again, atheism correlates with education, and mm. education correlates with higher levels of socioeconomic uh, status. I don't like the way the media puts spin on it either. I, I retweeted the link the other day. Somebody else had written just something along the lines of, theists, suck it, here it is. <laughs> when, in yeah. fact, it doesn't quite tell the full story. It really doesn't. In fact, it just it, it tells one side of the story that is heavily biased. Because I mean that's that's really what we're talking about here. The the issue is bias. Mm. It's it's the fact that atheists again have greater levels of education, and that is most likely because they had access to greater levels of education. Mm-hmm. I mean that talks again to the socioeconomic status. So it just means that they come from better areas. This is one of the greatest our greatest defences against theism, in my opinion. And um, perhaps Kevin, this is something to talk about with your dad if if you ever get to have the opportunity to have this kind of conversation. If your dad speaks five languages, those five languages are probably from five different corners of the globe. Those, and I speak metaphorically when I say corners of the globe. Thank um, goodness. <laughs> thank goodness you clarify. Um, <laughs> Though the reason that they speak five different languages is because they're genetically, geographically differentiated from the rest of, of, of the planet. They developed their own ways to communicate. Not only did they develop their own ways to communicate, they also developed their own belief systems and religions. 
And people who were born in one specific region quite often have their own language, they have their own belief system, and they will often grow up believing in that belief system, will go on to uh, pass it on to their children, who will pass it on to their children, etc., 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 ad infinitum. And then they go and move to another area and they realize that different people believe something differently. Well, that's, that's really crazy. So the conversation that you can have with your dad is just this fact, you know, if you were born in any other country in the world, you would probably believe in a different God. So what makes that other person in that other, again, speaking metaphorically, corner of the globe, any more right or any less right than you are, just based on the fact that they were born into a particular region that believed in a particular God? You were born into a particular region that believed in a particular God. What makes them right? What makes them wrong? Why are they wrong? I have asked so many theists that question, and not a single one has ever given me an answer. Not even a reasonable, just no answer at all. Yeah. The, the best that Christians come up with is, oh, personal relationship with God. Well, you know what? Because Muslim told me the same thing. Like, it's ridiculous. It's such a valid question, and no one, they just don't seem to get it. Religion comes from culture, geography, family. Change yeah. one of those factors, and you get a different God. But they just don't seem to get that. It's so entirely correct. I, I mean, I, in the 10 days that I spent over in Vietnam, which was absolutely not enough, um, Kevin, I, I'm, an, I'm an anthropology student, or at least I was. I'm now, I suppose, an anthropologist, even though I, I haven't worked in the field, so I don't think I can call myself that. But uh, I completed a degree, and it, religion was my interest. That was the reason why I got into it, yeah. uh, or that I started to study it. And one of the most interesting things, in my opinion, is uh, you've, got, you've got areas like the Middle East, for example, that have a whole different bunch of religions fighting against each other. And they are literally fighting against each other. And then you've got another country like Vietnam. Uh, there's 70-odd percent Buddhist or atheist. And I, I don't dif differentiate between the two because they're the uh, Asian Buddhists who don't believe that Buddha was uh, divine. So just that Buddha basically came towards a self-realization. Sorry. Uh, for expanding on that. And then, you know, the, the other 30% is made up from Muslims, Christians, uh, not so many Jews, but basically a whole bunch of the other, uh, I said Hindu, didn't I? Um, and the Brahmists as well, who, you know, Brahma is part of the, um, the Hindu belief system, but it's very specifically towards Brahma. Anyway, so you've got areas like the Middle East that have all of these religions in this powder keg and they that you know quite often like other powder kegs they explode but then you've got other countries like vietnam who have all of these religions functioning together and i don't understand why that happens i, I honestly don't but it was one of the most amazing experiences and i'm really not entirely sure where i was going with this <laughs> but you'll have to indulge me because i am jet lag but mm -hmm. it it's it was really amazing to see so many different religions in this area in this very close-knit area 90 million people half you know or a a third of the size of Australia, yet there's so few, so little religious violence. I don't understand that. Don't have the answers. <laughs> but, that, but that's not why people listen to this show. They don't come here looking for answers. They come here looking for nonsense. Or questions. Or, or questions. I'll no, be the one asking that. questions. In my opinion, the most important lesson that you can ever learn is learning to ask questions. And again, that's, that's something that I'm really trying to instill in, in my uh, youngest daughter, my eight-year-old, right now. Epistemology. How do you know what you know? Ask questions. Learn to ask questions because questions will not only save your life, but they will enrich your life. And you know? make you a podcast host. Perhaps. One day. Perhaps. One Perhaps. day. Rightio, Kevin, anything to add? Any thoughts? <laughs> <laughs> I'm really sorry. I dug a very deep hole there, didn't I? <laughs> yes. <laughs> no, no, it was actually it was quite interesting. I, I didn't realize that about Vietnam. And it is interesting that you've got some places where, you know, religion divides and, and causes war. And I guess 
it doesn't always have to be the case. Yeah, I, I, I really don't understand how it happened. But yeah, sorry, I, I don't want to take away from your story, Kevin, because that, that was, it, it'd be really interesting. So what, what sort of conversation, oh shit, sorry, Adam, I just... <laughs> just shut up I, for a bit, Jack. I just sat in the host <laughs> position. I'm really sorry, I'm shutting up. Uh, look, let's drag it back. Let's, let's take a deep breath, align our chakras. If you had a hot tip for somebody who was considering leaving their religion or outing themselves to their family, because I know a lot of people who DM me and us to remain anonymous would like to know more about this. So tell me your thoughts. What's what's a hot tip? That's a good question. Like I said, I don't remember actually stating it explicitly to my parents. I guess just like, like Jake said, just come out and say it. Be open and honest with them and, and tell them. I, I guess I would, would explain why you think the things that you do. Explain what led you to this to this realization and and I guess if you have a solid relationship they'll be able to uh, to deal with it but then I guess in other cases like with the fixed crazy side of the family it's going to serve to divide I guess you just have to decide if it's worth the risk I didn't even talk about my conspiracy theory side of the, the family which is actually quite funny um, hang on you're related to Alex Jones I, I have a uncle who listens exclusively to Alan Jones oh. And it was, no, 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 it was no, 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 not, not, Alan, <laughs> not, not Alan Jones. I'm talking about the, the uh, right wing. Yeah, I meant Alex Jones. Oh, so. sorry, gosh. He probably also listens to Alan Jones. <laughs> he's, he's that kind of guy. It's not exclusive uh, then, is it? As you were. <laughs> but uh, it, it, it's so funny. Like, I had this conversation uh, once, and how, how do you sit and speak to somebody who is an intense conspiracy theorist? And I had a thought, I had to think about this. You know, how, how do you sustain a conversation with somebody who, for example, believes that 9-11 is an inside job. The, the cognitive dissonance that it takes is ridiculously large. So I thought, what I'm going to try and do is out-conspiracy the conspiracy theorist. Oh, wow. <laughs> so he's talking about 9-11 being an inside job. And I'm nodding along enthusiastically. And I said, dude, 9-11 was an inside job. Yes, I completely agree with you. But what actually happened was those towers were empty all along. They were always empty. They housed within them. You know, this, look, this is confirmed. All you have to do is look on the internet, okay? This is confirmed. <laughs> Here's a YouTube link. But they, yeah, absolutely. And you will see in that YouTube link, those twin towers were actually housing enormous missiles that were launched directly at the moon because China had enormous lasers that were pointed directly at America. Mm -hmm. And the Americans would not take that. George Bush would not take that. He is a patriot. Okay, oh, damn straight, isn't he? he what? So he, he shot those rockets up there that were concealed within the, the Twin Towers, blew up the moon. You know, you, you look outside, right now you will see a, a moon that is completely different to the moon that you saw yesterday, right? They, the scientists, they call it the phases of the moon. It's actually a projection. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, that's why they have satellites up there, Adam. Yeah, they have satellites up there to project the moon in the clouds. You know, like that's that's like some that sort is of how celestial bat signal. <laughs> the you better bat, bat signal. <laughs> so anyway, they, I, I had a bit of fun with the guy. He listened enthusiastically and then realised that I was taking the piss <laughs> and, and then continued drinking his scotch. Take the conspiracy one step further, because you know religion is. Nothing if not a conspiracy. But the, the, the trick, <laughs> yeah. yeah, and the trick here is is to show them how simple it is for them to accept without evidence a story. A story doesn't matter what the story is. I like the one about the moon and the bat signal. That's brilliant. <laughs> and then just say, okay, I made all of this up. 
I mean, that's why the astronauts went up there, you know, not so long ago to correct the, the, the lens in the Hubble. Correct a lens in the Hubble as if they couldn't build a lens correctly on Earth. Oh, no, Jesus. they weren't correcting a lens. They were building a projector inside the <laughs> Hubble. The new hollow Hubble. <laughs> so, so. Seems legit. So Seems legit. You, it is entirely correct, um, Adam. You know, sometimes you will find that that's, that that's the place that you need to go to, to add a little bit of absurdity in order to help people to understand the absurdity. But the other side is just asking questions. How do you know that? How do you know that? And ultimately, that line of questioning will, will always come down to one final point, faith. And faith is just pretending to know things that you don't know, or you know, more specifically, pretending to know things that you can't know. Hmm. That's a really interesting one, and I've just had a thought, perhaps a future podcast, when I begin discussing this sort of stuff with Christians, because I always make notes when I'm speaking to people, because I think, ah, oh, that's a really interesting point, I might come back to that, and then write down on the, the piece of paper, okay, here's what they think they know, and then just draw an arrow towards faith. You'd be able to plot it, I would think, like along the x-axis. Yeah, absolutely. Or just use Venn diagrams because they look like boobs. <laughs> exactly. And who doesn't like that? Well, Kevin, you know. he doesn't. Big fan, big fan. Oh, okay. Thank goodness. <laughs> so it's on the record now. The I'll edit that, that out. You can pose that question to Christians and a lot of them will say, well, God talks to me or from my personal relationship with Jesus. So they get around it that way. They honestly think thoughts that they have come from somewhere else. Like yeah. to them well, the, a couple of episodes ago, I had some Christians on my show. I uh, w- One of them said, okay, yes, I've heard Jesus, he speaks to me, etc. And I made it really quite blunt and just said, okay, how does, how does Jesus speak to you? And then there was nothing specific that came from it. It was just a, a series of coincidences that came about. And this is not at all uncommon. You know, most or many religions will describe a thing like uh, burning in your bosom. You know, they, they actually say burning in your bosom. Um, and that's that's what Jesus is. Jesus is what? basically... Chest the, thrush. Chest thrush, exactly. You get a cream for that. <laughs> yeah, you can, you can. doesn't always work. Uh, you know, topical creams are good, but uh, you, need some, you need some good solid uh, topical steroids, Excellent. I found. Uh, but yeah, no, they'll, they'll describe something like a burning in your bosom. Like you, you'll feel, you know... Um, Adam, uh, when you've got an adrenaline rush in your chest, you know, you've just made a bunch of sales or mm. you've just, uh, you just, just before you're about to step up to uh, the blocks uh, at a sprint, you know, just before you start a triathlon or a half marathon. I'm just going from what I normally do on a weekend. <laughs> but yeah, so. That's all that, <laughs> Just yesterday, actually. But, you know, basically, the religions will quite often put it into words and they'll use words that are synonymous or ubiquitous amongst that religion. So burning in the bosom is, is, a, is a very ubiquitous one. So, and it's actually one that Mormons use quite regularly. So if you're ever speaking to Mormons, burning in your bosom, they'll know exactly what you're talking about. Brilliant. Not an STD. What you can quite often say is, you know, because what they're actually talking about right there is faith. You know, that's, that's their physiological symptom of faith. When God speaks to them, it's them getting a thought and them getting the burning in the bosom, which confirms their thought quite often. Uh, and, and I can also speak from experience on there because it's, it's something that I remember seeing while, while sitting in, in the church pews, having a good, long, hard think, getting the burning in my bosom, knowing that it was the right answer, and then speaking to the priest afterwards and having it attributed by them to God. 
mm-hmm. was Jesus speaking to you, di- you know, directly. They were confirming that exactly the course of action that came into your head that you thought of is exactly the right course of action. Hmm. Okay, so that's that's oh, yeah. quite often the confirmatory God talks to you type um, reaction. But all you have to do is relate that to an experience that they probably themselves have also felt that wasn't at all related to God. And I'm talking about things like stepping up up to the blocks at a sprint hmm. or, you know, making a bunch of sales in a row being on fire you're walking up to a a pretty girl or a good-looking guy in a bar you know uh, about to chat them up or buy them a drink or in a previous episode i discussed this i'm trying to start the herd mentology which is an offshoot of um, scientology (laughs) how could i possibly get more people to feel this burning in their bosom when they listen to say whatever nonsense i'm going on about well, meth is probably the, the easiest solution. Right, I'm doing yeah. that right now. What's next? Well, secondary to that, you can take up sports, you know, or play video games. Yay. That's all you need to do. <laughs> shoot a goal in soccer or shoot up some heroin, whatever. I mean, whatever floats your boat. It's the one question of life. What makes you happy? Well, Kevin makes me happy and uh, would make me even happier if he got a word in. <laughs> yeah. Oh, shit. I'm so sorry, Adam. I, I'm really enjoying listening to what Jake has to say, though. Oh, well, he's it's got like... a whole bloody podcast for that, does he not? <laughs> oh, I'm so sorry. Not at all, Jake. We love you. Yeah, we... it's a terrible habit, though. And, and I haven't been on a podcast for like three weeks now. So <laughs> I've got all of this talking stored up. You've got a burning in your microphone? A burning that... in my bosom as well, yeah. <laughs> bosom, yeah. And, and plus, I've been in Vietnam. The, the, the person who had the 90th birthday was uh, my wife's grandmother, uh, who was a deacon in the Anglican Church. The wedding was for my cousin. My cousin's sister is a priest in an Anglican church. So I'm sure that you guys can appreciate that I've been around a whole lot of religion and I had to keep my mouth shut 90% of the time <laughs> for the last three weeks. Oh. Uh, pretty easily. I just uh, thought of all of the wonderful bargains that uh, I was about to get in Saigon Square. Oh, the, ta- the tag hoo-ha? What about the lolex? <laughs> or the, the sonin? Uh, <laughs> discman? <laughs> <laughs> this uh, this Sorny is 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 one of the best brands in Vietnam. Yeah, so I I bought a lot of shirts. I bought some Dr. Dre Beats, the Bluetooth wireless mm. and uh, noise cancelling knockoff. Yes, knockoff. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> North Face backpack, North Face uh, jacket. Yeah, I just I made off really well. Excellent. And Kevin, what have you bought from Vietnam lately? <laughs> just a bride. Just brilliant. Just a ride. Very nice. Just a ride. All right. Well, uh, look, Kevin. Any final thoughts? Um, I guess what I what I was hoping to get from anyone listening is uh, the stage that I'm at with my parents. I, I've got my I got my father to actually read Letter to a Christian Nation, which if anyone hasn't read it, I highly recommend it for if you can convince someone in your family it's not aggressive. It's it's very well written. It's concise, and I don't think Harris quite has the same. Reputation is Harrison Do- or sorry, it's Dawkins and um, and Hitchens. Mm-hmm. You know, not in his early writings, anyway. <laughs> yeah, that's right. I mean, he's not quite the devil as they are. He hasn't so hit I, second gear. I got gear. my father to read Letter to a Christian Nation, and then he responded to it. And his two points basically uh, were that evolution hasn't been proven, and that the Big Bang Theory violates the I think he called it the the first law of the universe. Oh, uh, the it's first the law of thermodynamics. Yeah, that's what he meant. Actually, he called it the first law of physics. I've composed this, you know, six-page response trying to basically teach him everything that I know about the origins of the universe and what's happened since then. But it's been sitting in my draft folder for about two months. And I just go back and I kind of revise it. And I, 
And I'm just wondering if it's even worth sending. I still can't decide if it's worth sending or not. In order for it to be a decision worth making, you have to weigh what the cost-benefit is going to be. I mean, the cost to you is relatively low in terms of your time, but is there going to be a better outcome? I mean, that's ideally, if you know, that would be the you know, best-case scenario. My father realizes, hey, these are some good points. Maybe I've been mistaken, and it causes him to kind of, you know, examine his life and what well, my my parents' lives, but or or he just dismisses it, or I have you know no idea what the outcome would be. Well, you, but you know, even better than that, you get to have an intellectual conversation with your dad. I mean, that's something that so few people get to have. Quite often, a conversation, especially as a as a man. Quite often, the conversations that we have with our dads are superficial. Oh yeah. Um, well, no, no, no. I say sometimes I call dad up and ask him if I can borrow twenty bucks. Yeah, yeah, of course. Mm. Uh, uh, which is totally deep because your dad has deep <laughs> pockets. I've heard. But uh, <laughs> being able to have an intellectual conversation with with your obviously very learned father, I mean, I, I would find that personally immensely gratifying. Mm. Yeah, that, that's definitely a good point, and and I think I've, I've tried to write it as non-aggressively as possible. I know sometimes on Twitter I tend, well, I have definitely gone off on people, so I, I really have to be careful. And I'm, at least I'm not limited by 140 characters now. So like I said, I've been <laughs> six pages revising, revising to email. got to be a solid six pages. <laughs> Maybe I've said too much, I don't know. Right, you guys, we might wrap it up there. Thank you very much. Like a Christmas present? Like a Christmas present. Now, is there anything you'd like to plug, Jake? Apart from you, Adam. No. Um, <laughs> of course you would. Yeah, you can, you can check out my podcast if you feel so inclined imagine the imaginary friends show.com podcast which is all the w's uh, plus a dot and then imaginary friends show.com and then my book if you like letters to christian leaders hollow be thy claims and just on the note of the podcast the uh, our amazing uh, yearly christmas carol that we put out is about to be released it's called merry mythmas uh, look out for it it is fantastic if I do say so myself, and I do, considering I wrote, produced, sang, uh, rapped, and everything else for it. Mm, outstanding. Well, uh, yeah, podcast and book, never heard of them. All right, thank you. Kevin, what do you got? What would you like to promote, apart from giving blood? Because that's what you gave up today in order to come on this third-rate show. You know, it's funny that you mention that, because that's, that's all it is I wanted to mention, especially at this time of year. Uh, in Australia, you can donate full blood every three months or plasma and platelets every two weeks. People are friendly. The snacks are good. It's only an hour ahead of your day. And it's uh, it's an easy thing to do that helps a lot of people. So donateblood.com.au. Yeah, unless you're unless you're O negative, in which case, don't worry, because everybody else... Do the rest of the O negs have you covered? Mm. Yeah, they got it. Don't worry, you'll be fine. What are your blood types, out of curiosity? I'm O neg. Mm. A positive. Ah. Ah, see, now you're super important. So you absolutely need to be giving blood more than you currently do. <laughs> more than you're allowed to? <laughs> well, see, Kevin, I would say so. Before the show, Kevin said, oh, look, I won't be able to make it. I'll, I'm giving blood from like 3.30 to 6.30. I thought, there's going to be none of him left. Blood. I just fall asleep in the chair and they can't wake me up. That's all it is. <laughs> Still here. Guys, thank you very much. You've been a wonderful crowd. I look forward to dealing with you on that Twitter thing. Awesome. You too, Adam. Cheers, Dick. And I love you both dearly. Ladies and gentlemen, this is a quick uh, thank you to everybody who, over the Christmas period, without me begging, borrowing, stealing, torturing or threatening, 
I had a bunch of people sign up and offer some financial support through the means of tithing via the Herd Mentality website. And I found it very heartwarming. It was a, a wonderful Christmas gift because this year, in 2014, I really feel like we're going to be able to do something big with it and turn it into a full-time project. I thank you all very much.